the fourth slide of every deck is this journey is going to change your life. And a lot of people, and I don't blame them, they sit back and they go, yeah, right, Boomer, you're going to change my life. Well, this guy's life changed this morning. And he was very emotional. And I will bet you in a million years, he didn't see that coming. Like 30 minutes into our first coaching session, verbally says, wow, I didn't see that coming. That is like changing you forever. And so if you are a coach or you're trying to convince someone of coaching and its value, they have to see it. And really, if you can give them an opportunity to give it, it'll change them forever. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. J.R. Flatter here, and this is Building a Coaching Culture. Here with my co-host, Lucas. Hello. Got a big show coming up on the cartoon side of his life. Comic-Con. Comic-Con. <laughs> You're living at least three different realities, right? You're a computer scientist, parent, slash husband, slash comic. So you got a lot going on. And a coach. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm here. <laughs> All right, so um, we just kind of wanted to open up with the idea of the theory of coaching versus the practice of coaching. We know with great familiarity and proficiency what the competencies and ethics and core values are of coaching, and that's largely the theory, right? But when you're in an actual coaching relationship with a real human being, what is that balance between theory and practice and also Another common topic, and where are those lines between what we do as coaches versus other? And the most often one I think that I hear is therapy versus coaching, but there are many others. Yeah. I mean, when you describe coaching to somebody and they they say, oh, that sounds like cognitive behavioral therapy or something, what is the distinction that you would tell them? The clearest one I've come up with that I've talk to lots of different people. We have a lot of clinicians that come through our cohorts, even had a few psychiatrists come through our cohorts. A lot of the students are w- wondering about, you know, where, where is that line? So in all those conversations and all the cohorts we've taught, the clearest demarcation I've come up with is, are we looking forward and are you growing? If I ever suspect that we're looking backward and you need to heal, then that's probably something other than coaching and may very well be therapy. But it's not an end to the coaching session, nor is it an end to the coaching relationship. And we don't break that trust and safety that we built. I would expect in the rarest of circumstances, something would come into the coaching room that would require an immediate stop-stop. I've actually never come across that in actuality. Talked about it a lot in theory, a lot in teaching. Come close a few times. One of the case studies we have that I talk about a lot in class, because when you're ready to coach, you got to be ready. People throw you topics fast and furious, and you as a coach better be ready to catch them. Because even if you're at the beginning of your relationship, or it's 30 seconds into a session, that's what's been tossed to you. 
That's the trust and safety that's been given to you. And there's a great obligation that comes along with that. So the closest I've ever come to a stop, stop was I was in a large setting. We do a learn, see, give anywhere from two to four hours, two hour block, three hour block or a half day. Learn about coaching, see me or whoever the other facilitators might be coach and then coach each other. And so we're in one of those learn, see, gives. I always ask for a volunteer, live unscripted coaching. And it never ceases to amaze me how quickly raw and real topics come into the room in those sessions. And in this particular case, young uh, man stood up and said, my best friend just committed suicide. And I was right there. Clearly, this young man needs something in addition to coaching. And perhaps this is an opportunity, depending on circumstances and his ability and willingness to continue coaching as to whether or not you stop, stop right there. But even then, you know, my coaching brain said this young man knew who he was. He knew where he was. And he tossed me that topic in front of all those people in a coaching relationship. And so I felt a sense of obligation to keep going. And I asked him first, what other resources are available to you? Do you have the, the numbers? Do you have the addresses? Do you want somebody here in the room to go with you? Is there any other resources that we could think of and, and pull into this dialogue right now? And so even in the most, well, I wouldn't say the most extreme circumstances, but even in those circumstances, there's an opportunity to continue coaching. And he chose to continue coaching. And it turned out very well, even though there was this gigantic challenge in the room. So that's looking backward to heal. He and I continue to look forward to grow. That's a, a situation where it was right up to the line. Clearly, additional resources were needed other than coaching, but not an opportunity in my mind that required stopping. I've had coaching relationships where we're in the middle of the arc of a relationship, knowing each other for several sessions, digging into some problems and challenges. And we always start with the blank chalkboard, as you know irrespective of what we've talked about in the previous session or anything in the relationship itself, come into the new session with the blank chalkboard. And so we came in and she immediately told me, I've decided to leave my husband of 17 years. I no longer love him. We've been drifting apart for years. Certainly that's not in and of itself a coaching challenge because the marriage and the husband or what you and I would call ghosts, we're her coach. And so, again, stated very clearly, you know, I'm not a marriage therapist. Uh, I'm not a divorce lawyer. We both know that. So let me keep my coaching hat on, keep coaching you. And I guess in the rarest of circumstances, I don't guess, I know, in the rarest of circumstances, you know, immediately threat of harm to self or others, immediate malice against the sponsor. Like as soon as I'm leaving here, I'm going to go destroy my boss's car. You know, things like that. You know, that's another challenge. We coach a lot in sponsored environments. And I think if you're going to coach in a B2B model, a business-to-business -business model, you're going to coach in a lot of sponsored environments where someone other than the leader you're coaching paid for the coaching. If you're in a B2C model and you're building your business individual to individual, then you're probably not going to be in those sponsored relationships as often. Just the way yours and our, my business is, it's very B2B. And I always have in the back of my mind, I have an obligation to the sponsor as well as to the leader. 
And when we start those relationships, those sponsored relationships, we're very clear with the sponsor. Hey, this is a relationship between the coach and the leader. Things are going to come up in those that are potentially not in the best interest of the sponsor. How many times are you in a coaching relationship where the leader decides to change career path? Leader decides it's time to go back to school. Any number of things that could come into that room that require coaching that aren't in necessarily the best interest of the sponsor. That's the sponsor in my challenge, as well as the leader that we're coaching and, and my challenge. So we talk about that before the coaching relationship starts. That's the agreement phase. For some of us, it might be the contractual phase. We're at it, actually putting a contract in place to coach many people over many sessions over you know some period of time. But there could be in the rarest of, and I've, again, I've never had this, this is theory versus practice. I've never had this happen yet where I thought I had to stop, stop and say, you know, your malice toward your sponsor is so strong, I have to break our confidentiality. If you ever do have to break confidentiality, I, I suspect strongly the relationship's over between you and that particular leader. It might strengthen between you and the sponsor, but you know, the clarity of where that relationship or where that responsibility starts and stops is more in practice than theory. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, like coaching versus therapy kind of thing. I also think about like all the tool sets and all the techniques that we're learning and that we practice. And they're not necessarily the same techniques that like a professional MD or, you know, a therapist or counselor might need to know. And they're also maybe going to be more on the prescriptive side, like, okay, today we're going to be role-playing for this amount of time because, like, I know that, like, you know, if we do this 10 times in a row, we'll see some results. But we're often, no, oh, would this be something, would this be a tool that helps you clarify your thoughts? And we're not going to say we're going to do this and then this. Yeah, prescribe rather than suggest. Yeah. yeah. That's something I think about a lot in practice. And when I mean practice, I mean when I'm in an actual coaching conversation. And in an actual coaching relationship, I'm looking at the core competencies and I know I'm, I'm laying the groundwork with competency three. What do you want to talk about today? What would be the best use of our time? How do we know when we get there? What are some measures of success? What are some obstacles? And then my favorite is what is about this that's really important to you? And so we lay that groundwork. That's pretty clear to me. And then when you get towards the end of the arc of a session where you're Time is not your friend, and you know you're going to have to end the session soon. Start talking about eight, right? Facilitating growth. What do you get to do with the south side of the session? But that squishy middle is where the art, not that there's not art in the opening and the closing, but the art is really in that squishy middle of four, five, six, and seven, because it isn't linear. It goes back and forth. And you tiptoe up to the edge of these lines all the time. One of the more frequent occurrences of when I'm thinking, of it, we talk about the pause, right? The purposeful pause, the pregnant pause, any number of ways of saying it. But being silent on purpose in a coaching session. And there's a lot going on during that silence. For me, from the coach's side, I'm asking myself a lot of questions. One of which is, is this a coaching question? Or am I hiding advice? Am I guiding? Uh, I just had a, a first coaching session this morning. So session one, beginning the arc, 
we'd had a, a agreement conversation, two agreement conversations prior to. So today was session one. I probably pulled three very specific tools into the room that we always suggest, but you know, session one, you're the coach. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. And there were uh, two of them that popped to mind, Atomic Habits, and I think he brought the other one in the room. But as I was thinking about some of the lessons from Atomic Habits, and I don't know if you've read the book, it's uh, James Clear, and it's a really great book. If you haven't read it, strongly, strongly recommend that you do. I'm actually going to pull up my own, because I'm a subscriber to his theories and practices, so I have my own Atomic's habit spreadsheet for my own things that I'm changing in my life. So I started pulling specific components of atomic habits into the room. And I kept asking myself, are you sure this is coaching and not advice? He'd already read the book twice, so that was comforting. And so I started asking, what are your cues? So James Clear talks about cues. So if you're trying to change a habit, what's your cue to either not do it or to do it. So what's your cue to go to the gym or what's your cue not to have another cigarette? And where does that craving come from? And what's your response to that? And how are you going to keep yourself accountable? And I was pulling all that verbiage in from James Clear. And I'm pretty confident and still pretty comfortable that I wasn't giving advice. I was using a tool that was available to me as a coach to facilitate his self-discovery. And that that to me is like, Almost like if you brought in like a thought experiment or something like, or an analogy, like, let's talk about it from this point of view. And then the person is still leading, but now you're using, you know, atomic habits, nomenclature and things that kind of like ground you both in the same context. That's, I guess I had a question. Um, we're always wary about the mentorship versus coaching. As you mentioned, like you can kind of feel yourself getting on the line of it. If you're like a coach that might specialize in marriage or technology or the military, you know, you're, you have kind of your niche. Do you think that that kind of opens the door more for you to feel like you're going to want to insert that mentorship if you're kind of angling it at a particular audience? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is one that I struggle with because I call myself a leadership coach. I call myself an executive coach, but I teach coaching. And so I believe very strongly, irrespective of the adjective that you add to the front, the fundamentals remain the same. I've had conversations with diversity, equity, and inclusion coaches, life coaches, business coaches, any number of adjectives you could put on the front of that. And again, in those moments of silence, are you asking yourself, is this truly a coaching question or am I mentoring this person? So let's, let's go back and revisit our own definitions of the difference between mentoring and coaching. So if I'm mentoring someone, I'm in the driver's seat. I'm deciding speed, direction, destination. If I'm in the coaching mindset. I'm in the passenger seat and I've purposely put the leader that I'm coaching in the driver's seat. They're deciding destination speed. So very clearly they're in charge. And throughout a coaching session, I'll, I'll continue to remind myself and remind the leader, you're in charge here. What do you think? 
where, where do you think we should go next? Is this a good time to end the session? What have you learned in the last 45 minutes? Always they're in control and I'm facilitating their growth. I would imagine it's getting a little old now, but I ask the question all the time, or you know, when I'm talking about mentoring versus coaching, this is how I did it back in 1980. And I'm looking at your millennial self and telling you that, that it's probably going to work for you in 2023. Really, in, in all seriousness, a solution that's 40-something years old from an analog world now well into the 21st century in a digital world changes in culture, changes in technologies, changes in business processes, geopolitical changes. I mean, think about how long ago that was, 45 years ago. Probably not very relevant. So when we work with, like we've said, we have a B2B strategy. When we work with organizations, we work on changing their leadership style to a coaching style of leadership. We strongly, strongly believe it's the style for the 21st century. Yeah. And I guess like the benefit probably comes more in terms of like, maybe I can communicate with a particular audience better than, than you might be able to communicate to them or, or I just prefer to communicate with that particular niche. No, you're right. I mean, we talk up and this, I think a, a good segue into this conversation about theory versus experience versus method. When we talk about coaching from this ivory tower of theory versus coaching, as our good friend Lee Collier calls it, coaching in the wild, and then the methods that one uses to coach, they're two very different places, the theory versus the practice. So let's talk just learning and development writ large. And you think about your professors that you had in college, your bachelor's and your master's. And you think about the lessons they portrayed to you in that academic setting. And then you look at the real world where you're working while you were working, getting your master's degree. And that's what we would call practice, real experience on the street, making it happen. And there's a strong partnership there between theory and practice. They're not mutually exclusive. But if you sit in the ivory tower too long and talk completely from theory, or if you've only practiced in the wild and you've never learned a theory, are you the best leader that you could be? Are you the best coach that you could be? So we think it's a circle of three competencies, knowing the scholarship well enough, knowing the theory well enough, what are the core competencies, the core values, the ethics, and then experience what's actually working for you in the real world. And then the methods that we use are that third circle. How do you take those knowledge, skills, and abilities and experiences that you have and deliver meaningful coaching. Yeah. And I think about like the practice as well. Like you could, you know, think about it. You could talk to other people about it. See, like, see what other opinions are. And is this a good idea? Is this going to work? And even if everybody says it's going to work, like once you do it and then experience like, okay, this is how it feels to actually execute on this now you have that that feeling and that experience to go back to so even if you knew it was going to work like having it like work in the wild is a oh yeah it's, it's completely changed your worldview forever which is one of the reasons we're such a big fan of learn see and give you learn about the theory you see it in practice 
And then you give it to one another and you experience it then. This person that I just started this relationship with this morning, a coaching relationship, I've known them for close to a year. Until this morning, despite any conversation we had had, coaching was theoretical. This is how it works. Here's some testimonials from people's lives that have been changed by our coaching. Yeah, I want, I want some of this. When can we start? And then he got coached. In like a, the fourth slide in every deck that we teach is this journey is going to change your life. Whether it's a coaching journey or a coach training journey or any leadership development journey that we start, the fourth slide of every deck is this journey is going to change your life. And a lot of people, and I don't blame them, they sit back and they go, yeah, right, Boomer, you're going to change my life. Well, this guy's life changed this morning. And he was very emotional. And I will bet you in a million years, he didn't see that coming. Like 30 minutes into our first coaching session, and he verbally says, wow, I didn't see that coming. That is like changing you forever. And so if you are a coach or you're trying to convince someone of coaching and its value, they have to see it. And really, if you can give them an opportunity to give it, it'll change them forever. So that's one of the you know, perennial challenges you and I have. Teach, 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 show, 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 and let them give it to each other. I think one of the things that's important to know, again, we, so we're just finishing up a 16-week cohort. Uh, we do two 16-week cohorts a year, pretty large, close to 100 people in each one from all over the world. And I say the same thing in, in slide four, day one, get the same looks. But the other thing that we teach them is you don't have to be perfect. I mean, in fact, none of us are. And as I'm coaching this very experienced, successful person this morning, I'm recognizing strengths in him that I will never have, achievements that he's achieved that I'll never achieve. And I'm his coach. Yeah, I am. And I'm probably going to do a pretty good job at it. And so the sooner that you can get the idea in your mind that you need to be the perfect leader slash the perfect coach slash the perfect human being to be a really, really good, powerful coach and being what you were describing a moment ago, the self-efficacy, like, yeah, I can really do this. And right, it, it really does change lives. So if you are going into a coach training program, if you're trying to become a coach, or maybe if you are a coach, get reps, start getting reps in the wild. And every time you do, your efficacy is just going to grow and grow and grow. And going back to where this conversation originally started, you're going to become more and more comfortable with those boundaries. One of the things we tell our new students is don't look for those boundaries with a microscope. You'll know when they come into the coaching room and you, with your knowledge, skills, abilities, and experiences, will make the right decision. Would it be the exact decision I would make or that you would make? Very likely not, but you're going to make the right decision and you're going to probably continue coaching and coaching very powerfully. I guess I'm kind of noticing this coming up more of that magic and that unexpected nature, like people that are skeptical and they come in and they see it firsthand and then their view is transformed. It seems that it's like partly this like surprise factor in, in like 
it's like almost as a coach you you need to you're you're expecting people to be surprised but obviously the person themselves like they don't know that something unexpected is going to happen you know mm-hmm. yeah so two things one almost every learn C give i do and we do dozens of them a year strong raw emotion comes into the room almost every time almost every one-on-one coaching relationship i've ever had multiple occasions strong raw emotion comes into the room and if i had that as one of my boundaries okay it's time to stop and let you recover and we'd never make it through a single session am i purposely looking for those cues and triggers no not at all Uh, but i am using my core competencies of coaching to say you know what's the real challenge here so one of the things that you and i talk about a lot are whispers and as I'm listening for those whispers, and to borrow from our good friend, Marion Franklin, leaders don't bring anything into the room by accident. And this leader started bringing things into the room that were very loud whispers. And I, as a coach, I'm obligated to hear those things and to see the emotion on, on his face. And then when the time is right, bring them into the room and connect the dots that I think perhaps he hasn't yet connected for himself. And then just keep coaching there's like a degree of like maybe the person is not used to being understood to this degree because you know they've they've said something multiple times to you and and they expect like almost subconsciously like somebody's going to pick up on this eventually but like you're the coach and your job is to pick up on those things you know and i guess it's because of the recency i'm not a psychologist so i don't even pretend to be a psychologist but i do know Primacy and recency, the first thing you did and the last thing you did really stick in your memory. And so literally it was hours ago I was coaching this person. And pre-coaching agreement phase, there's an absolute in my life. Okay, got it. You captured it in your agreement, brought it up first couple sentences of the first session. And as I was listening to him, I said about halfway through the session, what I'm really hearing is this isn't as absolute as you've led me to believe it is. And he just sat back in his chair and like 45 seconds of silence because of exactly what you said. He'd had this absolute in his mind and he'd been ter- telling everyone, here's an absolute in my life. And then suddenly the stranger is saying, I don't think that's what I'm hearing. Is that what you're hearing? And boom, probably no one else in his life not from their fault because they're not his coach doesn't listen that way and that's what you and i are listening for yeah that's powerful like yeah like being able to reveal somebody's intentions to themselves almost in a way yeah exactly exactly one of the things we teach is and we show in every deck is an approach template you know what is your approach to coaching so I have my own approach template after all this time, but we have one that we use in the classroom and we ask each of our students, build your own. How do you get ready? How do you begin? How do you go through the arc of a session? How do you go through the arc of a relationship? And how do you close? Even though there's a lot of uh, structure, there's a lot of room for innovation and personality and, and your own methodologies. Well, one of those competencies, as you know, is evoking awareness. And it's evoking new awareness, which I think is what happened to this gentleman this morning, is that 
coaching evoked a new awareness in him, a new possibility that he hadn't even considered. What he might have considered 40 minutes ago as an absolute, he's now considered there are variables here, there are options here. Not that he's sacrificed any of his principles or sacrificed any of his vision that he had had for himself. Perhaps there's more than one way to achieve the vision. Yeah, and I think we talked about that with like principles versus morals. Like, is that the distinction we had made where it's ethics versus morals? Where, you know, this is maybe this particular person feels strongly about this, but it doesn't mean that you're going to have to like stretch your own morals or ethics to kind of communicate with that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, morals are mine and ethics belong to the organization. If you're going to work there, you have to decide I'm willing to coalesce my morality with the ethics of this organization and vice versa. The organization has to say it's willing to accept your morality to the extent that it aligns with their ethics. And if you can't, then you probably can't work together. We talk about in the coaching relationship, can we work together? That's pre-coaching. That's in the agreement phase. Strongly, strongly recommend to all of our students. Once you start coaching, you know, now you've been given trust and safety. That's post-agreement. You better have decided very explicitly we can align our moralities within the ethics of uh, of coaching. I guess just touching on like the feeling like that boundaries could be constricting and, and things like that. And like there's this idea that like having those boundaries can actually like expand your own creativity because, you know, everybody is looking at the same blank piece of paper. Maybe it says that it must be eight and a half by 11 and it must be this thick and has, you know, 90 degree edges. And you could describe the paper all day, like for, you know, a week. And just because I'm telling you exactly how the paper is going to look, that's not going to inform how your art or your essay is going to look versus mine, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of room for innovation, imagination within the core competencies, within the ethics and values of coaching. And if you do, here's a common occurrence in a coaching situation. Yeah, I know. I know you're a coach, uh, but you've been doing this for 15 years. And I know you know the answer to this. Can't you just tell me? And I think for a lot of our even more senior coaches, we have some pretty senior people who've transitioned from one career to another, chosen coaching as their next path. And they're very senior, very experienced, very well-known in their industries. Come on, can't you just tell me how to do this? For me and for you, that's a violation of trust and safety because all this time I've said I'm a coach and I don't give advice and I'm helping you look forward and self-discover. And now I'm going to, just this one time, I'm going to tell you how to do it. You can use a lot of imagination to find your, yourself out of that box canyon, you know? Hey, do you mind if I'd stay here in a coaching role and who else in the world might you have, who else in the world might you ask that question? Who else in the world might you seek to be a mentor for you in this situation? You know, if they're asking, where's the red stapler? I'm going to say it's right here on the desk. And that's not a violation of coaching. It's like, um, my dog, um, 
you know, he's only attacked one person and that was five years ago. And, (laughs) you know, that doesn't mean I want to be in the same room with that dog again. (laughs) Yeah, has a history of violence that was ignored. (laughs) I can see that in the lawsuit right now. Uh, (laughs) Well, he's only five and he's only bitten one person his entire life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a good analogy with the coaching relationship because in the back of this person's mind, they're going to say for the remainder of the time, if pushed, Lucas will stop and mentor. And so I don't really have to work all that hard. In a coaching relationship, the leader's doing all the work. You and I are helping them discover what needs to be done. And the more we take that burden away from them, we've really violated the trust and safety of the coaching relationship. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.